1: everybody. Welcome to Que Golazo. This is our Thursday preview. Uh, Tottenham against Chelsea, a very big game in the Premier League. The FIFA Club World Cup begins on Thursday as well. And we have Copa del Rey action. We have Jimmy Conrad, Mike Goodman with his nerdy numbers, and a little bit of an audio bite from Harry Kane uh, as the Super Bowl uh, kicks off on Sunday. Stay right here because Que Golazo begins right now. Hey everybody, welcome to Que Go Lasso on this Wednesday, but we are doing our Thursday preview. Jimmy Conrad in the house. Jimmy, what's up, man?
2: What's up? How's it going? I'm excited to be here as always. And I hope everybody that's listening and or watching is doing well themselves.
1: Beautiful. Beautifully said. Good to have you here, brother, as always. uh, We have Mike Goodman a little later on, but this is all about Thursday. Thursday preview, of course, we'll be talking Tottenham against Chelsea. A big game in London, a big game in the Premier League. We have other matches as well. But of course, we begin, Jimmy, uh, with the latest news and we wanted to do something fun today. The Super Bowl is the Sunday, of course, Tampa Bay Buccaneers against the Kansas City Chiefs, another Super Bowl for Mr. Tom Brady, Uh, but we're not going to get into that too much today, maybe a little bit more in our weekend preview today. Actually, we wanted to talk about uh, Harry Kane. Yeah. Talk Harry Kane, who will be unavailable still for this game against Chelsea. Jimmy, Harry Kane uh, went on NFL UK and he talked to uh, Houston Texan J.J. Watt. Because J.J. Watt's a big, obviously, we know uh, through his wife as well. But we know, obviously, that he's a big, big soccer fan. And he talked to Harry Kane, who's a big NFL fan. And he talked about, uh, you know, possibly reigniting his hopes of one day becoming an NFL kicker. Listen to this.
3: I uh, I know that you've dabbled with discussions about the possibility of furthering your career after your soccer career into possibly football in the NFL. Uh, have you taken any further steps into working on field goals? Have you kicked any where we stand?
4: Yeah, no, we're still early stages. Obviously, I get, I get asked this question a lot because I love the game so much. And I mentioned, uh, of course, it'd be great to... To explore that opportunity one day, but I'm still early. I'm still thinking about soccer first, but I am I'm not. Uh, I know it'll take a lot of hard work, a lot of dedication to, to go out and do it. I know it'll be a lot of training, a lot of practicing. Um, When's the last time you kicked a field goal? Probably about two years ago. It's one of them things I feel like I've, I've spoke to people before in in a lot of sports. Uh, of course, there's a lot of technically very gifted players and in and, and NFL kicking a lot of players, you can kick it far and high, but... I guess it all comes down to who can handle the pressure the best. And I feel like the more I watch it, the more I see that, you know, in in the big situations, a lot of the times the the game goes down to a last minute field goal, a last second field goal. So I'd like to think kind of my experience of of dealing with that in in soccer would put me maybe at at an advantage uh, compared to some of the other guys uh, who haven't had that experience, maybe coming out of college or or things like that. So uh, I guess that's the the bit I'm I'm banking on, uh, of course. But yeah, like I said, it's early stages, but I I look forward to to hopefully exploring that one day.
1: All right, that was Harry Kane. Jimmy, can you imagine Harry Kane in the NFL? How cool would that be?
2: It would be pretty cool, and I think it'd be a great story to tell and sell, I'm sure, from an NFL perspective. I hearken back, though, to Tony Miola, who played in two World Cups for us back in the day. Goalkeeper, fantastic technique, uh, could hit a ball as clean as any goalkeeper I'd ever seen. He went and did kickoffs and field goals for the New York Jets, and it didn't go well. And it, for me, having seen what Tony Mueller could do on the field, and obviously I've gotten to see Harry Kane play in person and, and on, on TV, it's a different type of technique. You're swinging a little bit different, and the consistency has to be there. So even though I think he has high hopes and even though I think he can do it, we've seen Carly Lloyd on the U.S. Women's National Team banging a couple 50-yarders on cameras. I just don't know if it's the same. He... he in, you know, he talks about the pressure and, and I listened to that. And I've also, you know, seen some of the articles around it as well. He talks about being able to handle the pressure and, and that that's where he thinks he'd have a big advantage. But man, if he's not hitting consistently and you miss a couple field goals in a row, in a row, excuse me, that pressure changes immensely because now you're in your own head. So, yeah, he can talk about lean on all of his Premier League and national team experience, but it's a whole different beast when you're the most lonely guy out on the field. If you've missed a few field goals and now you have one to win it and maybe you miss it again. Did
1: you ever think of
2: doing it? I've done it before and I suck at it. I I didn't get taught how to actually hit a long ball properly. And this led to me getting bilateral sports hernia surgery in the middle of my career. And now I have two big scars over my nether region. Am I allowed to say nether region? Yeah, absolutely. uh, Okay. Uh, We've heard worse. (laughs) That's true. Probably heard worse. I got two big scars over that. It's like I gave a C-section baby and, uh, uh, and that didn't even actually correct the problem. It solved one problem, but then that led to adductor slash growing issues and, and all because I didn't get to learn proper technique growing up. And, and uh, it's just a different thing. So when I went and tried to kick field goals, I just don't generate enough power. I can I can bang in the 30, 35 yarders pretty regularly. But once you back it up to 40, 45, 50, I just can't do it. Maybe one out of 10. Like, I just, it's really weird. I don't know what the deal is.
1: Wow. Wow. No, that's, well, thank God that you're, you, you're fine. But you can tell, obviously, that, you know, you need a specific technique to do it. Um, I played rugby in high school, and I always thought that I could be a good punter. You know, just I think punting might be better for some of these uh, players. Uh, David James as well. Remember him from Miami Dolphins as well. So we'll see what happens uh, with Harry Kane. But anyway, the segue of Harry Kane, of course, is that the Tottenham striker, the England striker uh, will be unavailable, obviously, uh, for the Chelsea game. A very, very big game as uh, Jose Mourinho faces his old team. And we begin our preview here, Jimmy, with that game. Tottenham against Chelsea. It's 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 really big. Thomas Tuchel, of course, uh, you would say that it's probably his first uh, big test against Mourinho. What do we have here? All the details uh, from uh, Tottenham <laughs> yeah. against Chelsea.
2: I feel like I got to start with some fun facts, right? We like being a fun show, so let's start with some fun facts. Uh, the first fun fact is this: this is the first time that Mourinho and Tuchel have ever faced off against each other as managers, which I found fascinating. I thought. For sure that they had, you know, whether Tuchel at Dortmund or PSG and Mourinho at whatever club he's at, you know, I just thought they had crossed paths. They have not. So I'm very curious about that. This is also Tuchel's first game in charge of Chelsea uh, away from home. So we'll see if that plays into it. Maybe in COVID situations, it doesn't really matter. Empty stadiums and empty stadium. Uh, The other one is Mourinho has never lost, never lost successive home matches in the Premier League. Okay. And his whole career have never lost that. And Now he fails to come up with a victory against Chelsea, uh, that'll be that'll be it. That'll be making history in some ways. So this could be also if he doesn't uh, get a win against them because he hasn't beat Chelsea in his last six attempts, it could match his longest ever winless run against an opponent, which was seven versus Barcelona between April 2011 and January 2012. But how is he going to do that, Luis? Is the big thing without Harry Kane because? they just don't look the same without him in the team i feel like for the first time their defense looks a little vulnerable i was pretty surprised with his lineup choi- choices against liverpool when they lost 3-1 uh joe rodon and Rodon, or however you say it in the back very young and inexperienced and i think to give a contrast to what tuchel is doing with chelsea now that he's taken over you look at his back three for chelsea it's azpilicueta it's Thiago silva and it's antonio rudiger who are all on the wrong side of 30. I think he takes a great deal of pride when he picks his team to make sure he's got experience in the back. And when I looked at that from a contrast now back to Spurs, Joe Rodon isn't that guy. And against Liverpool, he, he put it, he left Toby Alderwield on the bench. And I just, you, you got to have your most experienced guys that know how to win games, right? They, they, they understand the mastery of, of. I don't know what the cheating sounds wrong, but like how to gain advantages, how to win ultimately, right? How are you going to win this game? What are you going to do? Are you going to lay your body out there and then hold other people accountable? That's what experience does and provides. And when you risk putting out, especially a young center back in a big game against players like Mo Salah and Sadio Mane, you make some mistakes, which is what we saw from him in particular, Joe Radon. And and then they lose the game. And now they're a little bit down on themselves. That guy has to, if he starts and it looks like it's going to be him, Dyer and Alderwield, he has to be lights out, right? So... Given these fun facts that I'm telling you, given kind of these lineup choices, and I think this is still a bit of an unknown who's going to start. And and Dembele came off with an injury against Brighton and their 1-0 loss Tottenham on the weekend. Is he going to play in this one? I think they need him. You know, is Carlos Vinicius going to show up and kind of have his Europa League form in this game? They need him to hold up the ball so that Hingman's son and Labella can be involved going forward. I don't know who Chelsea's going to roll out. So it kind of infect, it, it, or impacts and influences my odd choices. But I kind of wanted to get your thoughts, uh, Luis, just about team selection and Mourinho in general because I don't see him losing this game. I think he's going to do everything he can, which makes me think this is going to be a 0-0, I want all 90 minutes of my life back boar fest. But, <laughs> but, but I, I'm hopeful that you are going to come in with some great energy and enthusiasm about how you think this is going to be a 3-2 like historic game.
1: Well, I will come with a lot of energy and enthusiasm, but it (laughs) might be for a stalemate because I may agree with you here. I just feel that due to the injuries and I think due to uh, Thomas Tuchel still getting used to his squad and the Premier League in general, and then Mourinho just, you know, being Mourinho, this might be one of those uh, nil-nil results. However... Uh, You know, we don't know yet. Obviously, we we can't predict that. What we can know, though, is to your point about Tottenham, in terms of the squad itself, Jose Mourinho is struggling. Harry Kane, I think Sergio Reilon being out for three weeks as well is a major issue for them. Uh, Serge Aurier as well, who was in that spat, Mm -hmm. that reported spat uh, last game. Apparently, he won't feature and he doesn't have an injury. So there you go with that one. Uh, And Dombele has been past fit, I do believe, Mm -hmm. right? But Ali, who apparently they might be doing a 180 here, he won't be available. Uh, But Giovanni Lo Celso still has to recover as well. So there's a lot of uh, injuries for Jose Mourinho and uh, a lot of problems. So what do you do here? Just rely completely on human son. He can't do it all himself, surely. I mean, there's so much talent, of course, but I don't know. From the game that we saw against Brighton, this is going to be a long afternoon for Tottenham. So I'm, I'm imagining that all they can do is just put all the men behind the ball and hope for that point.
2: I think that's what's going to happen. I mean, I've seen a lot of probable lineups, right, on all these different websites. as I try to get some information on where I think they might start and who he might start. They have them lining up at a 3-4-3. Three, three. I'm like, get out of here. You right? You have three center backs, actually. They're going to be sitting on top of the 18-yard box, probably the whole game for Spurs, so they don't get exposed in behind. So you got Rodon, you got Dyer, you got Alderwield, and then you got Davies, who's essentially a left back, and you got Doher- Doherty, who's essentially a right back. You're going to have a line of five, and then you got Hoiberg, who's just an animal covering a whole bunch of ground, you know, and just tackling people all over midfield. He's going to sit in. So you have this, this back six that are just – going to be hungry just to, to make it as difficult as possible for Chelsea, who we could argue that if you punch this team in the face, this Chelsea team in the face, they don't respond very well, whether that's due to their youth or not knowing how to adapt to certain situations, like, all right, you know, they just keep squ- square peg round hole. We're just going to keep trying to do this because this is what Frank Lampard said. Maybe Tuchel will infect them with some types of different ideas and, and this positivity to solve problems in a real meaningful way. We've already seen with Tuchel that, he tries to play with a double number two cams, ultimately. And he did it with Zayek and, and, and uh, Kai Havertz in his first game against Wolves. And that he tried to find those pockets uh, in between the back line and the, and the midfield. I don't know if we'll see that again. It looks like Giroud is going to get the start. Mason Mount, maybe Timo Werner can act as those cams. And then what he does is he has kind of a block of four. If you guys are still with me, I've got all soccer nerdy on you guys. I went all, you know, crazy and got soccer geek, but. He'll have like a block of four. So Drew will stay up as the nine. And then there's there's two cams, two two center attacking mids and two holding midfielders. So it'll be like Werner and Mount, and then Jorginho and Kovacic is probably what's going to be in front of the back three. And then you have Hudson Edoy, who's been fantastic, by the way, over the last few weeks. Bombing forward. And then you got Marcus Alonso who scored uh, this past weekend against Burnley bombing forward as well. That's where they're gonna create their width and try to create those numerical advantages. I don't see that actually being that big of a problem when you have five defenders and Hoiberg right in front of you. So I was very curious to see how Tuchel is going to try to solve that problem. Cause I don't think with Drew in particular, he's not going to stretch out the back line of Spurs. He's not going to get in behind. So you wonder if Werner is going to have to maybe splash up there a little bit and try to stretch the defense out. So it can create some more space in midfield. I don't know, but it's going to be very interesting to see. I, I hate calling games a chess match, but I am very interested to see the tactics and strategies as they actually happen in real time as they try to solve each other and and solve the issues out on the field. But I can see this one really being a zero-zero. So actually to get you guys some odds, because I did have some, but I wanted to have a discussion first. Neither team to score. I think this is a tremendous value, and I hate cheering for no goals, but it's plus 850 (laughs) if you think neither team is going to score. I mean, $10 to win 85? I might throw a flyer on that, Luis. I don't bet every time I I say a line to you guys, but there are a few that I'm, uh, you know, a a choice, and, and I like that one a lot. But if you say, listen, I think Chelsea have enough firepower, they're going to score, but Spurs have no chance. Spurs not to score, Luis is plus 195. I might even like that better, even though obviously the odds are a lot less. William Hill has a 1-1 as the favorite exact scoreline at plus 500. So I don't know. This one feels a little bit tricky for all the things we've been discussing. But if you want Christian Pulisic, if you're like, listen, I'm American. I want to see my Americans do well. Him to score anytime plus 225. I don't know if he's going to start. But when he didn't start this past weekend against Burnley, he came on and made a significant difference, uh, gave an assist to Marcus Alonso. So maybe that's been enough to earn a start there. And obviously he has a previous relationship with Tuchel at Borussia Dortmund. So I don't know. That's kind of where I'm seeing it. I, I feel like there's a draw here. And plus 235 for the draw is, is the scoreline overall or the betting line overall. Well, you gave us so many- I did. uh, What am I doing? I'm like, I'm talking in circles, Luis.
1: It's beautiful. I love it. And actually, you gave us a great segue because before uh, Jimmy and I continue, we wanted to give you a little dose of uh, Mike Goodman and his nerdy numbers because he's going to break down A lot of what Jimmy just talked about, which is how Tuchel operates. And so this one, Mike's nerdy numbers coming to you right now, where he'll break down the German manager and his tactics as he begins life uh, with Chelsea. Check it out. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Que Golazo. A quick, quick uh, pivot here with Mike Goodman. Mike, how are you, bud?
3: I'm doing well. Thanks for having me back.
1: Of course, man. Of course. Always, <laughs> always welcome. And as I mentioned uh, before the quick pivot, uh, talking to Jimmy, of course, about the big one, uh, Chelsea Taunton. And Mike, you are here because I think it's important for Chelsea fans specifically to know the Thomas Tuchel kind of managerial system uh, and what they can expect, I guess. Because I really feel, Mike, that Thomas Tuchel in many ways is sort of misrepresented or misunderstood in many ways. And I think especially now that he makes his debut in the Premier League, it will be great for you to tell us a little bit about his system and what we can expect.
3: So yeah, so uh, Tushel's his career, right, it goes from Mainz to Borussia Dortmund to PSG and now to Chelsea. And what you can see, you can see it when you watch those teams with your eyes. Well, not yet with Chelsea, but you will be able to in in a couple of months, I am sure. Or if you look in the numbers, what you can see is there's this really... um, distinctive through line to how he manages his teams. And that is, is that he wants to use possession and have the ball to create really good shots. And that seems basic, but it's much more rare than you would think. Most really good teams and most managers, what they do is they create, they have the ball a lot and they take a lot more shots than than their opponents, right? Like that's how they play. It's not so much that they take better shots, although they maybe take a little bit better, but the real, the real thing that differentiates really good teams from everybody else is they take lots of shots. And that's actually just not quite what Tuchel does, which makes him really, really interesting as a manager. Um, the best way to look at this in numbers is you look at the number of shots a team takes and you look at their expected goals, and then you look at expected goals per shot. So what you're doing is you're looking at on average, how good are the shots that a team is taking? How often does each individual shot become a goal on average? And what you see with Tuchel is that his teams don't take tons and tons and tons of shots. the managers, manager before PSG, before him at PSG, the managers before and after him at Dortmund, they took more shots with those sides than Tuchel did. But what he does is he creates more expected goals from fewer shots uh, at PSG, both seasons at Dortmund. Those teams led the league in expected goals per shot. And so that is the thing that I look at when I look at Thomas Tuchel.
1: So when I'm thinking about this and everything you just said, a uh, wonderful explanation right there, I'm thinking that when I look at a 2 side, especially the very early days now of Chelsea, is that he's very narrow, right? The, I mean, obviously you have your wingbacks going back and forth and everything, but he, he, he really prioritizes a lot what's going on in the middle. Uh, spe- uh, specifically, right behind that front number nine, and I'm wondering if you know when you're talking about all these expected shots and and, and how many chances to creates, where are they coming from? Are they? Yeah, you know, so that's my biggest question, I guess.
3: I think the early couple of matches with Chelsea, you can see how the system is not in place yet, um, because what they did, especially in the win against Burnley, is they had tremendous amounts of possession. But they just took a lot of mediocre shots. They were not opening up the opposing defense. They were pinning the opposing defense back. Right. And yes, you're right. They were very narrow in the middle with the two wingbacks. I think what I would expect to see as Tuchel becomes more um, sort of integrated into the Chelsea side and he's able to implement more of his system is what you'll see is a lot of work, a lot of passing and a lot of interchanging not to um, create, not to do what's happening now, which is where they are getting, a, they are having a lot of players narrowly, but with lots of defenders behind the ball. Instead, what I think is you will see a lot of creative movement and interchanging to get players in sort of that 10 space, right? In the space between the lines, in the middle, in front of the defense, with a spread out defense. Um, but that's not there yet. What we're still seeing now at Chelsea is like them pinning teams in. And you, what you would see a lot at PSG is, man, they did a lot of work with the ball to get Neymar in. Sp- space in those areas instead of getting him the ball in crowded situations and that to me is the major difference i am not like when i look at his career and i look at his first couple of matches at chelsea i am not particularly concerned that he's going to end up like sorry at chelsea right like sorry at chelsea did exactly the thing i was just talking about and it became very frustrating for fans where his teams would have a ton of the ball but they would just take a whole bunch of very very like distance type shots without getting really good chances i'm not concerned about that with Tuchel. i it's not there yet but that is clearly what he has built towards at every step of his career
1: and I think something that's going to be really more interesting is when he is able to pick players that he wants for Chelsea because obviously he's inheriting a squad as opposed to one that he's building himself which is kind of what happened at PSG as well
3: a little bit but what you saw at PSG which was fascinating is that he immediately repurposed some players to his system like he takes Marquinhos and he brings him from center back up to the base of that midfield and he has consistently. He did the same. He did something similar with Julian Weigel, who played defensive midfield for, for him at Dortmund and is now a center back in, and uh, I think Benfica, um, where he wants to play with three defenders in possession, and as you can see right now, he started with Chelsea. He's just moved to a back three, right? Like, um, but oftentimes what he'll do is the third, the third back line player will play in the midfield, so he will. Um, whether it's Marquinhos, whether it's Weigel, whoever it is, he will have them be the base of the the midfield and then drop into the back three in possession. And it's going to be very interesting to see at Chelsea whether he finds somebody to do that because just his personnel is not exactly suited to that setup. Um, like the passers that they could conceivably play at the base of midfield, like a guy like Jordinho is not a, like a, a third defender in any capacity. And like the defensive midfielder that they could play at the base of midfield is Conte, And he's also, he's not that kind of like stay at home quarterback type passer that, that that he used Feigl and Marquinhos as. And so you, you could see a world where, where Kante plays a slightly different role and somebody else plays that sort of, hybrid center back defensive midfielder type situation
1: yeah i'm wondering i'm thinking jordan henderson would be beautiful in at thomas too
3: sure, like you know who else would be great at it would be declan rice who they've been linked with for two years now um which is sort of ironic given that i think a lot of people thought that they were linked with declan rice because of frank lampard um but like he is he is very much a, a passing defensive midfielder who could also play center back in, in that kind of a role
1: Okay, so last question here, uh, as they face Tottenham, which in a way I would imagine a Mourinho system, uh, or in these uh, few days, non-system, uh, would be a great uh, challenge for Tuchel in these early days, right?
3: So it is, and you saw that with Wolves, right? Wolves, you know, in, in his debut, where Wolves are a very disciplined positional defensive side, and they just couldn't really break them down yet. Um, of course, Spurs aren't playing Particularly well at the moment, so it is. It is an interesting challenge, right? It is an interesting task where what we see is um, they will they will begin to we'll we'll see whether or not they're able to start breaking down this Mourinho side. Um, Mourinho as a defensive manager, really does like to blow up the opposition midfield. He likes to keep, you know, he'll sit deep, he'll defend, he'll let teams have the ball, but he doesn't like to let them get into positions to create good stuff. So his midfielders will contest the middle of the field. And that to me is the interesting question about Tuchel going forward, is will he be able to, will his teams be able to have the kind of possession he needs to build these attacks, to create these great shots? Or will defensive managers like Mourinho in the Premier League be able to blow up midfield to the extent that his teams can't create. And I think this is like a very early example of that kind of test for him. All
1: right. Final question. Let's see. I'm going to put you in the hot seat here, Uh, Mike. How, where are they ending at the end of the season? Do you think?
3: Oh boy. That's, that is a tough question. They are a long way from fourth, even though they have probably the top three or four talent in the premier league. And there are a lot of teams ahead of them. I'm going to say fifth. Fifth. I yep. think they're gonna I think they're gonna make a good run, but I don't think they quite get there.
1: I love it. I love it. Mike Goodman, thank you so much. Once again, Mike's nerdy numbers, and he will be back uh, very soon as well, of course, as the Champions League Europa returns. Mike, thanks so much, buddy.
3: <laughs> Absolutely. So I'll talk to you.
1: Welcome back, everybody. Well, there you have it. Now, listen, if you're a Chelsea fan and you're listening to this, you have no excuse. We've given you everything. We have given you absolutely everything. So make that of what you will. So, Jimmy, as we discuss, you're pushing for a stalemate. Uh, (laughs) Reluctantly. Reluctantly. Uh, So am I, to be honest. I just I just think that it's two forces, one who's still trying to figure themselves out. And the other one who knows very well who they are with very limited firepower. And I just think that 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 will just, you know, outnumber each other to a zero, zero Let's hope we're wrong. Let's hope we get a lot of goals here. But you never know. If there was one player, Jimmy Conrad, from either side, I know that you mentioned Pulisic. But if there's anybody else from either side, Chelsea, Antonin, that you think could maybe be the spark perhaps somebody that we don't even think about that much. Who would that be? And let's begin with Chelsea. Who from this Chelsea squad could provide that little bit extra to get those three points?
2: I think Callum hudson Adoy, for sure. I think uh, his matchup against Davies and Radon is something he can exploit, he can take advantage of. And then, of course, when you have some experience behind you, like Azpilicueta, I just think it sets up a lot of good situations for him to have success. And I think he's got a lot of confidence right now. So, yeah, we always talk about more often than not we talk about who is sick as we should and and werner and havertz and mount and all these other guys but i think hudson adoy could be the one that ends up proving to, to be the biggest difference and so that would be my pick for chelsea how about you
1: for chelsea i think that i would to me one of the things that you said uh that really uh, stuck with me and i still think about is the fact that well that you suggested at the very least is that you know under tuchel Chelsea likes to find these uh, pockets, right? These spaces, but most often they're not. They're all like central. There's, there's not much width, uh, you know, unless you're wing bags, like you said, Callum Hudson-Odoi, if they're isolated, obviously, but the overwhelming amount of threat really comes from the middle. And it's not that obvious, but I think this is a perfect opportunity for somebody like Timo Verna to really just finally put something, uh, you know, a stamp on it once again and reclaim that star power. Maybe Giroud takes enough Threat away from that and gives them the opportunity, especially outside the box, just entering inside the box. So, to me, it's going to be Timo Werner, but I think Callum Hutton Adoy is, is just like
2: I'm curious about Werner just because I don't know where he's going to set up shop. You know, how close is he going to be to Giroud, or is he going to drop in a little bit deeper next to Mount? I mean, he's the one that's going to be a little bit closer to goal than Mount, I would say, but but where is he setting up shop? Is he going to be asked to stretch the defense a little bit? That's what I'm curious about because if he does that Drew is excellent at holding the ball up and, and allows yeah. the team to transition and he's always looking to combine which I love about Drew. And I think that's what Arsenal missed for for some time, even though Lacazette seems to be picking it up. We will not get into that conversation. Let's talk about Spurs, right? You want to ask me about Spurs?
1: Yeah, give me one player from there. Uh, obviously, uh, Huming son would be, uh, you know, a no brainer. but Is there anybody else you think that could, uh, you know, unlock something here for Joseph Mourinho?
2: Well, I, it has to be Carlos Vinicius up top. You know, he's shown himself to be a very good player in the Europa League. Obviously, the opponents there are a little less dangerous uh, than, than who he's going to be facing today. And you got experienced defenders in the Chelsea back line with, with Aspilaqueta, Silva, and Rudiger. He has to hold the ball up, I think, for, for Tottenham to really transition in a meaningful way, to allow Hingman's son to make those darting runs in behind, right? That's what Harry Kane and him have done so well, is that Harry Kane will kind of pull out wide. Hingman's son will run through that gap that's now been exposed because a defender's chasing Harry Kane wide. Harry Kane says, thank you very much, takes one or two touches, plays that ball through, and Hingman's son is gone. Vinicius isn't as mobile as Harry Kane. He's not looking at the game in the same way. He's got to stay in between the two center backs, Uh, Even though they're playing a back three, he's got to find those pockets. But he has to hold the ball up. Otherwise, Spurs are going to have a really long day at the office. And if he doesn't, uh, then I don't expect them to score any goals unless it's maybe off a set piece, which is possible with those guys. He he would be the key guy. If Spurs go on and win, I think we'll be talking about it's because Vinicius showed up and had a good game.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, The only one that I would just add is Gareth Bale, man. Come on, (laughs) but the thing is,
2: wait he still plays.
1: I know, I know. You sure about that? I know. But the the only reason why I say, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but I'm saying like, if you brought him for a reason and if you, and if you as Gareth Bell clearly think that you still have a lot to offer, this is a perfect opportunity for you to show it because right now, nothing, right. And there's no excuses anymore. You're fit. You're able to play. You're able to provide something. You know what you've been given. You know what you've done in the past. Now it's your opportunity to at least show something. And they need him a lot tomorrow, especially because Harry Kane's not there. But we'll see what happens. Um, All right. When we come back, we'll take a break. When we come back, the rest of what's going on on Thursday, including FIFA's Club World Cup. Stay right here.
0: Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
1: Welcome back, everybody, to Que Go You heard Mike Goodman earlier. You heard uh, Harry Kane earlier. Uh, you still have Jimmy Conrad here. Jimmy, rest of Europe. What else is going on in Europe? Something in Spain, I believe.
2: Of course. There's always kept competitions going on somewhere around the world. But let's go to Copa del Rey in Spain. Real Betis is taking on Athletic Club de Bilbao. Uh, What's interesting about this one was that Real Betis, who are managed by Manuel Pellegrini, who used to manage Man City and and West Ham, they are unbeaten since the turn of the year. Okay, so Los Verde Blancos uh, have won six and drawn two of their last eight matches across all competitions. And they secured a a third consecutive home win over Osasuna this past weekend. Uh, Borja Iglesias uh, scored um, the winner late in that one. Now, they be based on this run, they're now up to seventh in the table in La Liga. And there are thoughts and hopes and dreams of potentially sneaking into the Europa League spot. So I feel like that is, that's pretty awesome for Pellegrini because he was on the hot seat, for everybody that doesn't know, because Betis really had a slow start. So now they're back in it. They have to balance this. And like every club, and I think we've talked about this uh, yesterday with Copa del Rey, everybody's seen Real Madrid's out, Atletico Madrid is out, Barcelona's still maybe not playing as well. They're still getting results, but maybe not playing as well as you'd expect when you think of the, the name Barcelona. So this is a good opportunity for a lot of these clubs. Like, hey, we might have a chance of winning the Copa del Rey. What's interesting is what lineup he throws out, Pellegrini, because they play Barcelona on the weekend. So now, because of this good form in the league, he has to figure out, that's going to be the trick, right? That's why they get paid the big bucks. Can you put out the right lineup for this? Now he's taking on an athletic that have been somewhat reborn, having a renaissance under Marcelino. They won the Spanish Super Cup. They lost to Barcelona this past weekend, 2-1, who got their revenge. Messi, in particular, got his revenge with a sick free kick after getting a red card against them in the Spanish Super Cup final. However, Athletic beat them 4-0 earlier, Luis, in the season. I think Betis is still going to be up against it. I think, uh, as I mentioned, uh, Athletic have been a little bit reborn. They seem excited to be out there and playing. They have uh, Valencia on the weekend, so... Valencia are not the same Valencia of years past. So I think they can maybe throw out a little bit more of a stronger lineup here, whereas Betis might have to figure out that balance. I don't know. I mean, Betis is going off at plus 188 to, to, to win outright. I kind of like Athletic to win and both teams to score plus 480. Uh, I, I don't know. For whatever reason, I have real strong 2 1 vibes here to Athletic. And I just think they're going to do enough to, to get by, and Betis will suffer their first loss since the beginning of 2021.
1: This is a really tricky one. It's so Be- tricky. Because it's tricky. as you mentioned, uh, Pellegrini finds himself in a quandary here. As you, you know, seventh in La Liga, they win against Barcelona, which is a big ask, of course. And other things go their way. They'll go sixth because they'll go above uh, Real Sociedad, which is kind of crazy, right? Uh, mm-hmm. But then to your point, like, but what do you do here? Should You just go all out because, you know, you're deep run in the cup. And you look at Real Betis' squad and it's tremendous. Yeah. I mean, Joaquin is still around. I love it. Right? 39 year old still doing his thing. Guardado still there. Fakir, of course. Uh, You mentioned Borja. I mean, this is a very, very good squad. It's just about what do you do? What do you prioritize? So it's very difficult. I like the 2 1 for Athletic Bilbao. I think they won a little bit of redemption, especially after losing. Uh, against uh, Barcelona and they equally want to have a deep run as well. And they beat Barcelona uh, I- in the cup to, to, you know, to go far, and not in this cup, but um, in um, the other tournament in the one of final. So this will be an interesting one. I'm going to go, uh, I'll go with, I'll go with Betis. I just, I, I, I interviewed Joaquin a few years ago. He's just so great and he's meant to be the jokester of, of La Liga and he's so funny. So uh
2: yeah. I, I, I respect that. I respect it. I, I, as I, This one is tricky. It's very similar to, to Spurs-Chelsea. Like You could, even in your heart and your mind, you, you could make a narrative, a strong narrative, for, for either side to get a result in a particular way. Um, but I like both teams to score. I think Betis is in good form. I think they have some belief in themselves. I just think with Athletic, getting past Real Madrid getting past Barcelona in that competition. Now it's another kind of one-off competition. They have some confidence in a different type of way. Yes, they lost to Barcelona on the weekend, but they've been going against some of the big teams, you know, and, and really yeah. cutting their teeth and trying to go up against it while having a new manager take over. And they've obviously winning that trophy should give them a ton of confidence to try to win another, knowing that this is a good opportunity to do it. I just think athletics is going to have a little bit more than Betis to make those key plays. but I guess we're going to have to wait and see.
1: Now, you, listen to Jimmy, everybody. Just, <laughs> he's done more homework in this one. I, uh, let, let's go. <laughs> let's go with Bilbao. <laughs> All right. Listen, to wrap things up, everybody, by the way, uh, Jimmy, the yes. FIFA Club World Cup is Love back. it. Love it. Um, you know, you have a, a lot of teams that a lot of you may have never heard of, but, you know, it's a good opportunity to see them. And, of course, Bayern Munich, uh, Palmeiras, and, of course, Tigres from Liga MX. What do we have on Thursday?
2: Well, so first up, we have Tigres taking on Ulsan Hyundai from South Korea. I'm bummed still. Tigres came back from a one-goal deficit to beat LAFC with 20 minutes left to get this. We're still waiting for an MLS team to- It could be have rep- been LAFC. I could have been, and, and, I'm, and I'm gutted that it's not. Tigres, though, obviously, tremendous, tremendous team from, from Mexico. Unfortunately, they've only collected seven wins from their last 17 outings, and they're winless in their last three. Uh, their top player, Andre... Pierre Gignac uh, was, has been hurt. He should be, I don't think he'll start this one, but I think he'll come off the bench. They have a little bit more. And, and then with Ulsan, they won the AFC Champions League, the Asian Champions League in December and haven't played since, Luis. So I think, I don't know, it's called, I couldn't call it a little rusty, you know? I, I, don't, I don't know what's happening there. You I like Tigres. <laughs> yeah, a little rusty. They did win nine times throughout that competition. They have a very good defense. So I really feel like the storyline is Ken Tigres's attack you know, outlast the good stout defending from Olson, or can Olson somehow figure it out and, and, and stop them? Knowing that Andre Pierginiak, su- now probably going to be a super sub in this one, will come on and save the day probably and, and score the winner. I, I like I like a 2-1 scoreline, maybe even 3-2. I think there's going to be some goals in this one. I just think that's just too big of a rest. Before I give my prediction, though, uh, do you agree with me, though, that the, the, they finished in December? It's been yeah, it's almost two months yeah. since the last time they played. A, re- a think- meaningful game. They probably, like have to a good opponent. Re-
1: they probably have to remember what the rules are again. I don't know. It's just like it's just, <laughs> it's just been so long. No, it's been so long. Regardless of the recent uh not so great form from Tigres, you can't replicate uh action. And if you haven't played for that long, I think it's gonna hurt you. Uh, yeah.
2: So. so okay, we're on the same page. So I like Tigres to win because <laughs> excuse me, they haven't been in good form. I'll give Usan a chance to score. So I like both teams to score and Tigres to win plus 230. That's nice relatively safe in my mind yeah, that's good. and I think and I think Tigris's quality will end up shining through if Ulsan came back you know somehow figured it out we're like ready to go after two months I'll be impressed but uh, you never know you never know so that that's one of them and the other the other game the quarterfinal is Al Duhail hopefully I'm saying that right from Qatar and they they qualified for this by being the Qatari champion because that's where this tournament is being hosted and they're taking on Al Ali who won the CAF uh Champions League from Egypt and uh all pretty good this is the fifth time they've been in this competition the qataris the qatari club has not ever played in this before and even though they're playing at home i just don't see how it's gonna happen i just you know i don't know uh also also Al Ali um ha- won a treble recently too you know they're like the the Bayern munich of, of africa so it's uh I, I mean, it's a stronger got- league, right? I yeah, mean, it's a stronger league. It's a stronger competition, and and all the Qataris had to do was win their league. They didn't have to win like a right. Champions League to get there. Yeah. So, I just think that quality will shine through. I'm kind of all super heavy on all Ali, but but so are the lines ultimately. So. I don't know. I don't know how you think that's going to play out, but uh, what's your prediction on that one?
1: Well, I mean, I don't want all the listeners to think that I'm an expert in Qatari football or Egyptian football. Come on,
2: football, what are
1: you talking about? But, <laughs> but I will. Yeah, it's in my bonus of my CBS contract. You need to be good uh, at Egyptian uh, football. But I will tell you this, though. There's something to be said about playing in a stronger league than another one. And as you mentioned, the fact that Al Duhail only had to do is win their league, uh, probably doesn't say enough to understand the kind of opponent they're about to face, uh, you know, with their treble winning um, Ali. So I think I'm going to yeah. go with Ali.
2: Yeah, Ali actually, surprisingly, is the favorite, but only slightly, plus 138. If you, if you guys are into parlays, I would look into Ali winning straight up in this one, and uh, Tigres, and you could probably get some good value there. And then from there, obviously, we got Palmeiras, who just won the Copa Lipidadores and Bayern Munich, waiting for them in the semis. And those should be good games. I, I would really like to see Tigres in particular win so they could face either one of those two. And, and uh, that would be a cracking affair. So again, I'm disappointed LAFC didn't get there and MLS team didn't get there. But we're, we're that, we have something to work for, right? We're always trying to chip away and, and, and earn that respect.
1: Absolutely. Tigres-Bayern Munich final. Can you
2: imagine how cool? That'd be it? hot. That'd
1: be, but Palmeiras plays uh, on Sunday and Bayern Munich waits until Monday. And then the final, everybody, is on Thursday next week. Uh, Thursday, eleven, I believe, uh, at one PM Eastern. So, so that should be something to look forward to. All right, that's it. That's our Thursday show, Jimmy. Any final thoughts? Anything else you would like to discuss?
2: No, I think I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm I, when you started talking Super Bowl. And, and Tom Brady, I was ready to get into a big conversation about that, but we'll save it for tomorrow. For our yeah, we're going to save
1: it for the weekend preview because obviously that will be a major part of our conversation. Uh, and as a Giants fan, I always love to talk Tom Brady at the Super Bowl, so it's always good to know. <laughs> Jimmy Conrad, thank you so much, brother. Thanks, please. Hey, everybody. I want to thank Jimmy Conrad, Mike Goodman for joining me today. Don't forget. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter. Pod. Listen to us on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify and Stitcher. Please leave a rating and review wherever you can. It really helps us to grow the show. Have a great, great rest of your week.
6: Okay. Picture this.